The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the host's favorite coach is Brian Dable. That's also where he gets his breakfast. The Dable. That's Lenny. Uh, Many times. Mm. Yeah, you know. It's still <laughs> it it's done. preseason for all of us. <laughs> uh, that voice you just heard is a uh, frequent collaborator on the show. Hasn't been on in a while, though. Excited to have him on for uh, what might be one of the nerdier premises I've come up with. Uh, maybe it's it's a little it's pretty nerdy for the week before the season starts out. I don't care. Right. You guys don't care. He's Ben Solak. Ben from The Ringer. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I filled out my Mina Kimes listener survey recently, and I thought about putting in there Ooh. guests. I was like, haven't had that Solak kid on in a bit, but but get 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 Ben back. But then I was like, nah. <laughs> I just put I put, I put more you got Steven. a lot of votes. Did I? You got a lot oh, of that's votes, huge. Ben. I didn't think yeah, I would. A lot, cool. a lot of votes. Yeah. Um. So this is a two part podcast. The second part, I am having my. <laughs> if it couldn't get any nerdier, well, my second part is my good friend Seth Walder. <laughs> Not to say that he's nerdy, but what we are doing is nerdy. I asked him for um, some of the his statistical takeaways from last season that might inform what happens this season. Oh, he's wow. a guy who I talk to constantly. Yeah, about he. I mean, he's he mm-hmm. does so much great stuff. He's our analytics writer at ESPN, looking at trends, developing new stats. Uh, so much we'll talk about in the second half. And he gave me some pretty good some pretty good takeaways. Uh, I'm excited for that conversation. I'm also excited for this conversation. It's one that's been brewing for a little bit. Um, I had to rebrand the premise of it to make it seem less obnoxious because, okay, so here's the backstory. Basically, Ben and I were going back and forth about, it really was David Long Jr., the linebacker yep. on the Dolphins, <laughs> formerly of the Titans. And I think the the reason we were talking about him or kind of joking about him is that he is a guy who it seems like every NFL podcaster and analyst is obsessed with. And then some other names came up. Frankie Louvu is another guy who is constantly in the mix. Nico Autry. Uh, so we were like, what, who's the all hipster team? And uh, just names were flying. And then I thought about it and I was like, you know what? This is actually really useful uh, to, to dwell on because one, I think it, it's kind of a cheat code if you want to sound like sound like an NFL hipster talking yeah. about your teams or the NFL in general. The names we're about to go over are like the guys who win games who maybe don't get talked about as much. So spoiler alert, we're not going to be spending this entire podcast talking about Aaron Rodgers and Tyreek Hill. And But um, I, I actually think that it, it's really useful information you going into the season because these are names that... Um, you're going to hear their names that could swing games, their names. I, I actually covered a lot of the league and I, I which is kind of cool too. So if you're a fan of a team and uh, you haven't heard your name, the name of your favorite player on the team that it feels like the national media doesn't give credit to, well, you might right. hear it on this podcast. So I'm, I've rebranded it. The all underrated team. It works for me. It's, it's, I I will say, you said, like, you know, oh, if you feel like your team, you know, this particular player doesn't get covered by national people the way he should. I agree with you. When you put out the tweet, there were a lot of people like, yo, Aaron Jones. No, Aaron Jones (laughs) does not qualify. There was something Christian Derrissaw. Absolutely not. That's a classic fan brain of like, 
my guy is the seventh best running back, and I think he should be the third best running back. Those people yeah. are, to me didn't didn't qualify. I tried to go for people who either had like never made a Pro Bowl, never made the NFL yes. top one hundred list, or like both kind of recently, maybe they were young, like fudged around the corners a little bit. But that was kind of that was the that was the Fed's post I was trying to go off of. We're gonna fill out an entire roster, except for I didn't I actually didn't do a kicker, punter, or placeholder. No, no chance. Or uh, I, no specialties. I also would say I think quarterback is kind of impossible um, when it comes to this exercise because yes. I, quarterback you could do underrated, but not hipster. If that makes sense. Like when I was thinking about it, Ben. Um, I, the name that I actually thought of as being underrated, but I don't think quite falls under the rubric of what we're how we're going to do this, is Kirk Cousins, who I actually think has become underrated. This has been a weird um, journey that I've been on with Kirk right. Cousins, where uh, I'm confidently ready to say that I think he is um, the best quarterback in the Kirk Cousins tier of quarterbacks, <laughs> which feels appropriate. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw. I think it was on the show Quarterback where they asked. Uh, Mahomes and Mariota, who was the most underrated quarterback. I think they both said Cousins. And I was watching that, and I was like, damn, I kind of agree. Uh, when did this happen? How did I become Kirk Cousins-pilled? Here's the thing about Kirk, and like, it doesn't surprise me that Mahomes and Mariota w- would say that, is it, it, it's Kirk's issue isn't his talent. Kirk's issue is his choices. It's the Derek Carr thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, throw the ball past the line to gain, and I will respect you more, even if your completion percentage goes down, your yards per attempt goes down, you take more sacks. Like you have to play to win the game a little bit, right? Whereas Kirk, I think, and, and can at times play so painstakingly within the structure of the offense that he makes decisions that like yeah. blow your mind at times. Well, if, I think that's why I got Kirk pilled, because in the second half of the season, like that right. switch flipped mm-hmm. last year. Like If you look at his stats from last year and you break them out first and second in the second half like they're really I mean there was there was ups and downs there's turnover worthy plays but also he was eighth in air yards per attempt uh sixth in CPOE fifth in QBR when pressure I mean, he was just letting that thing fly uh and it's interesting because I I don't know whatever I, I feel like it's going to continue this season with the addition of Jordan Addison I so you said Kirk is the best Kirk of all the Kirks right my question, because my one of my my candidates for hipster quarterback is is Ryan Tannehill in the Kirk family or is he in a separate family? No, I love that answer too. I think yeah. it's a great one. Um, he, but he is in the Kirk family. So, and I think he's right below Kirk. I, I see, think but that's where he came in in my QB draft. Here's my thing. My 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 thing with Tannehill is, unlike many of the Kirk iterations, Tannehill's. <laughs> got some gumption to him right he's got some mustard to him he has that uh that thing i'm talking about where like he's gonna he's gonna sit in there and fire sometimes debilitatingly so right sometimes you're like ryan save yourself check it down <laughs> just take the sack you don't need to take this hit over your ribs um but Tanhill has like the downfield mobi- uh mindset and the aggressive mindset that like when all of these offenses were in their heyday you know all, all the under center all the wide zone the one that like actually would scare you the most on a third and long. This was like, I probably still a couple years ago now, like golf has, has evolved. Kirk has evolved. Even Jimmy, like Jimmy's gotten better. Jimmy's gotten quicker and smarter. The one that scared you the most was Tannehill. Cause he actually had like the arm and the size yeah. to really punish you like outside of structure. So Tannehill was, was the one for me. The other one was Dak, which like doesn't, it's not even real man. Like it's just me feeling like Dak's underrated 
and Dak is, is always beat up and all everybody talks about is his interceptions and his postseason and he's just yeah. really good and I feel bad for him but he actually doesn't super qualify for this because he's just he's definitely too good to be on this list he still is though underrated. yeah 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 it's like under when we say all underrated are we talking about underrated relative to first take yeah. Underrated, yeah. relative Dak, to Dak is first team all beleaguered quarterback, first team all yeah. beat up and, and scrutinized quarterback. Underrated, first not so team much. underrated by uh national television. We can yeah. give that to Dak, okay? So that's quarterbacks out of the way. I don't, it, I, I don't feel like it really works for this. Um, the other positions now we can get really nerdy. Uh, let's start with wide receiver. Uh, I'll let you go first. I, I, you know, I wrote down a few names. Uh, I don't know how many you did for each position, we didn't really talk about it, but let. let let me hear who you've got. Yeah, no, I, I pretty much listed names until I stopped being able to think of good guys, which is why I have seven names for defensive tackle when we get there. Uh, <laughs> I have so many defensive yeah. tackles. <laughs> it's just the spot where there's so many different ways so to good be right good. Now. It's so good. Yeah. Um, it's now, so with, good right with now. that said, at wide receiver, like I think you have to start with the perennially underrated family of good, big blocking slot receivers who are reliable over the middle of the field, right? This is like the Robert Woods Alumnus Award. Uh, the guys that like I, Chris Godwin's been a dude for ages who was like, oh, he's the most underrated, right? And he's kind of, I think, elevated mm-hmm. now at this point. So the guy that I circle for that is uh, is uh, two different names, Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers. Both of these players are just so useful. They are so handy to have around, right? A little bit of different roles, obviously some overlap in terms of, of the offense that they played in. Jacoby now with the Raiders. Uh, but the uh, the ability to block, right? We, Bill Belichick had the Kendrick Bourne blocking line last week. Uh, the ability to block to be added into the running game. Uh, to, to, to give you that additional seventh guy to block you when you're in 11 personnel and then just make tough catches on third down, right? Like whenever our good friend Nate Tice talks about Kendrick Bourne, the first thing he brings up is the third or fourth down conversion rate. This guy gets you another series. He gets you the sticks. He gets you a conversion. Uh, and so when we talk about wide receiver talent, like the ceiling of wide receiver talent is, is yeah. enormous, right? Like everybody knows who the top like 15, 20 guys are, but you want a Jacoby Myers on your team the same way you've always wanted a Robert Woods and a Chris Godwin and even now a Kendrick Bourne where these guys fill a variety of roles where they wear a bunch of different hats and they get you that next series, yeah. the next conversion, and then your star can go and dominate. Kendrick Bourne's catching ability is, it's its one of those things I like because you just see it. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I posted a clip from the preseason of him like climbing the ladder, making this like insane catch. And then it shows up in both the smart stats and the dumb stats. Um, so over the last three years on 10 plus yard passes, so getting rid of the easy stuff, He's caught nearly 70% of them. That's the second most in the NFL behind Randall Cobb. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's that's your basic stat. And then uh, Seth's actually going to talk about wide receiver score, which does a really, really nice job with catch stuff. You guys should really check it out because they're really um, – they zero in on the quality of the throw, which is something that's very hard to capture statistically. And Kendrick Bourne in 2021, before he was excommunicated by Matt Patricia, was uh, second in the NFL then. So – it, it, it's one of those things where you watch him, you're like, that guy makes tough catches. The numbers show he makes tough catches. I really hope he gets reintegrated into this Patriots offense because I do think he, he's a good player both um, – well, he's re- he's very useful in the red zone, and they were a horrible touch uh, red zone team last year. But I just think he's so useful for the reasons you mentioned as well, the blocking. Um, so he was on my, my list too. Um, okay, I'll throw out a couple of names that I included on my list. Um, I was tempted to include Brandon Ayuk, but I was like, that's too... He, he, Brandon Ayuk, yeah. I feel like, is entering the Tyler Lockett tier of underrated, but still everyone thinks he's good. So it The first really name work. I wrote down was Lockett, and then I was like, all right, it's not 2018. Like, like, yeah, we can't keep doing he this. He was the chronically... <laughs> yeah, right. 
Um, okay. Uh, a guy that I've talked about a lot, Rashid Shahid. Uh, yeah. Another one who where like, um, you know, the, the it, he's the ultimate small sample size. The stats are freaking insane. Every ca- pe- catch, pardon me, pass he caught last year was like, you know, 45 yards. So it kind of skews things. But when you go back and watch the catches, Ben, which I I did for the, it was part of the NFC South pod. Right. Um, Cause you know, there wasn't that many of them, but they're not easy. No. Like it's, he is not just a speed guy. He is really good at tracking. He caught some really off-target balls. Uh, he has the physicality, I think, to also win at the catch point. So I'm really, I like him a lot. Yeah, no, Shahid is, and uh, they also couldn't get him like free and easy release stuff, right? It wasn't like like schemed up, like get this guy on the run yeah. and hide him behind a stack and then let him outrun guys because they didn't have the talent to do that. So they just had to line him up in there and ask him to beat corners, and he's able to do it. Uh, and it felt, it feels like they've been looking for that guy for a bit, right? They had like the Deontay Hardy years and they were trying to find some guy who gave them like a real speed dimension. And then since the preseason last year, he, he was a rookie coming into last year's camp, if memory serves. He's just been like winning yes, that job. The Saints, by the way. Yeah. I don't think I ever mentioned yeah. he's on the Saints. Sorry. Oh, I know. It's on the all underrated team. We don't even say that the team. No, we got, we got to, we got to, you got to go find them, right? It's the hipster thing. Like, oh, you don't know where they're playing. All right. Don't worry about it. Uh, no. So she, she, he is a good one. I, I tried to, get players who had a couple of years under their belt. Like I thought about Shahid. The other guy that I thought about for wide receiver was Jahan Dotson. Dotson's such a funny player to me. Dotson just is like a tough as nails, top 20 pick with above average athleticism and like speeds and quickness and acceleration. And nobody talks about him because the rest of that wide receiver class is just nuts, right? It's like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Drake London. They're all insane. Traylon Burks obviously has like, you know, the AJ Brown, whatever. He's going to step into that role thing. And Jahan Dotson's just there behind Terry McLaurin and not behind Curtis Samuel. I think people think he is. He definitely isn't. Who just had a lights out season with terrible quarterbacking last year. So Dotson's a guy for me who I think like, right, Shahid and Dotson, if they do again in year two, what they did in year one. Yeah, they're going to be like, all right, these guys are legit. And we need to start talking about them. I think we're, there's a, certainly a theme of guys who can make really difficult catches that's yeah. coming into play here. Guys who can get open, guys who can make difficult catches. Um, scrolling down, I thought about Boyd. I decided to put in the locket tier of like everybody knows he's good. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna. I have two players together, and we can transition to tight end here a little bit because it's a wide receiver and a tight end. This I think might surprise you. So, I this is a personal thing. Okay. I think both Isaiah Hodgins and Daniel Bellinger are good on the Giants. Okay. <laughs> Going real hipster. Isaiah like. Hodgins, you're you're talking to a 2018 Pac-12 draft analyst for the Draft Network. <laughs> Loved me some Isaiah Hodgins film at Oregon State. All right. That was my boy. Very happy to see him succeed. I agree with you. Hodgins is a legit player. Bellinger, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've watched enough Bellinger to have a strong okay. opinion on him. He had utility. So- I know he did, but I, I didn't watch him too much. Before he he got horribly he had like this really gruesome injury yeah. last year to his eye it was like it sounded awful it's one of those injuries where like I can actually imagine it happening to me so I'm like oh mm. um and he did struggle coming back before he got injured the Giants twelve personnel they ran a lot what was extremely I mean it felt like every time Daniel Jones booted it was an automatic first down to Daniel Bellinger um. I think he like I I had no opinion of him before last season. I think he is a totally capable blocker, but he just has like good you know he he's a pretty good all around tight end, and he just has like really good feel uh, for getting open versus zone. He's big enough and quick enough to get open versus man, and perhaps 
more most importantly predictively uh and he also caught everything by the way really good mm -hmm. hands again that theme continues same with Hodgins both had really 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 good hands they had to make a lot of uh contested catches because of the low depth of target of that offense yeah here's the thing about Bellinger and this is the Giants only had one drive right with their starters this year okay and it looked super easy it was super schemed up it was awesome mm -hmm. the touchdown Darren Waller you see the attention unsurprisingly paid to him Daniel Bellinger wide open I think he is going to produce so much because of the presence of Darren Waller right, in yeah. this offense and I expect this team to play and because he can block and stay on the field um so I feel good this to me feels like a little bit predictive like I'm like okay Daniel Bellinger this year, I think, is going to be one of the beneficiaries of the continued evolution of the Giants offense. Yeah, no, I definitely thought about it that way, too, where I was like, who do I kind of want to plant my flag on in, in for the 2023 season and be like, ah, I told you they were underrated. Um, now, Bellinger getting the second best guy on the opposing defense to cover tight ends is yes. a good, right, like it's a good draw. That makes a lot of sense to me. When you said like wide receiver tight end transition, I 100% thought you were going to do Juwan Johnson from the Saints, who's a guy that I have down. Oh, he's on my end. list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. He's just fun. I mean, he's just like, we, there, <laughs> how many ball, wide man. receiver to tight end convert transition, whatever guys have we gone through? And then Juwan Johnson just figured it out for the Saints and he's stinking good. Tight end is a weird one because there's three to four really good guys. And then there's a bunch of just extremely solid players who will just like, yeah. Hayden Hurst and CJ Uzoma bounce themselves around the league for like however many years. And you don't really like know which one's going to elevate. Um, so you have Bellinger, like uh, Jawan Johnson was the guy for me. And then David Njoku was the other guy for me at tight end too. Njoku's had such a weird career arc, right? Like the super early draft yeah. capital. Oh, he's going to be such a great receiving threat. All of a sudden tight end blocking becomes really important for the Cleveland offense. He kind of doesn't fit trade conversations. And then Vic, Baker drama and that's fan like all this Browns attention and the craziness and just very quietly in the late 2010s David and Jaku got good at blocking and we all missed it just no like all of a sudden he just came out one yeah. week it was like wait a minute I, I was a Chiefs game I remember early in the season I want to say it was 2020 might have been 21 where I was just like what the heck got into 85 like when did this happen uh and now he's got still he's on the field consistently he's got the same receiving chops he's always had and he's a really impactful blocker like David and Jaku's a three down run pass threat tight end guy on what projects to the, the Browns expect to be kind of a better, more successful passing offense. And Joku is one of the guys for me where I was like, all right, sneak a little Joku mention in there. And if he has a really good no, season, I like it. call it. Yeah, that's a good one. He, I feel like is kind of slept like it. Yeah, you're right. It's been, it was, I think it's because of the nature of the draft position and how he came in. And, right. um, and a reminder, by the way, that tight ends get better. Like yeah. maybe more than any other position, you know, it takes a second um to put for them yeah and, and and i think like you're right to also know kind of there's there's the all-around guys i would put bellinger in that group and mm -hmm. then there's just like the ultimate high upside athleticism juan johnson for me fits into that group um i would say chiga Quanco, who's yeah. a, a definite all hipster favorite yeah. on the titans i would put in that second category where it's just an absolute demon with the ball in his hands yeah. um he's such a good know, one for all hipster but, team yeah. 
because you pronounce <laughs> his name correctly. And if that's how, you know, you let people know, like, hey, I know who Chico Conquo is. Like, I, could, I just rip it off the dome. Like, as I, we're, we're chilling, you know, Maryland, whatever. I got the, I got the info. Yeah, he's one the where, The Titans like, have so many. Yeah. Oh. Uh, like, we'll, we'll get to the defense. The Titans yeah. is just every, like, you, you, you ask yourself, how does this Brable team keep winning these games I don't expect them to? And then you actually go through your roster and you're like, oh, I like this player. Oh, I like, oh, this guy's got, oh, like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, no, they're, they're a great spot for it. Chico Conquo is the is the classic one. That's a like card carrying member of football hipster society is you got to have a chicken conquo tweet or two. Third in yards after the catch over expected second in yards per target second in yards after the catch per reception amongst tight ends, small sample size, but uh, he, they appear to have found a real, he's by the way, Kelsey is like first in every single one. Of those. Uh, <laughs> they appear to have found a real, gem in him are there any okay before we move on are there any other wide receivers or tight ends that you would just like to give a quick shout to uh i did have pat fryer move down for tight end which he's like i think i think everybody knows he's good i don't think folks realize that like he was the second like the second target getter for pickens for Pickett down the stretch last year he was getting more consistent targets yeah. per game more consistent production per game than george pickens was uh talk about a guy who catches everything right ludicrously tough over the middle of the field and then a legitimate like uh plus as a blocker i don't think he's perfect like, he has some bad reps for sure young tight ends typically tend to um but he's a, like he, he is a guy who legitimately is impactful in terms of when he gets his hands on on a linebacker and then he can hang against defensive linemen watching him so i watched a lot of steelers offense recently which is i'm not into that reality of my life but i have uh watching him reminds me of watching young goddard like when goddard was first emerging for the eagles behind zach Ertz. i don't think he's that level of athlete right like goddard's so good after the catch he's he's, he's a yeah. dynamic tackle breaker but muth's got that to him where when he blocks you're like oh like that matters like that was an impactful play that he had right there muth's one i think who deserves a deserves a, a wave i want to own him or manage him in fantasy this year okay. um so I've been talking about the Steelers a lot, so I won't get in too much, but I think he will be the beneficiary of two things. One, I think defenses, as they respect the Steelers passing attack more this season and play more shell coverage to account for the fact that they have two, an incredible one-two punch at wide receiver. I think he'll be the, he'll, he will benefit from that uh, in the middle of the field. And I also think Kenny Pickett's willingness to throw there is also going to help, which is something we saw during the preseason. I, I've been talking yeah. about the Steelers a lot. I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I, could not agree more. Like him a lot as a player. Um, I feel like he, he his underratedness will be short lived. However, because you know, right. very high profile team. His name's fun to say. You know, uh, okay. <laughs> Running backs. Um, I'm going to start with a guy that I think is on both of our lists, and a guy that I absolutely love watching, and whose my estimation of him and what he can do is not changed by the fact that his team drafted a running back at eighth overall. And that's okay, Tyler Algier, man. He's yeah, so buddy. good. Okay. Um, left him in college too. Uh, I, whenever I was watching BYU in 2021, right? Was the, yeah. Uh, anyways, we, I was you like, and I hey, chatted about Algier at BYU. We were talking <laughs> Zach Wilson for something. And then all of a sudden we were like, yo, have you watched okay. this 25? Like, yo, this 25 is kind of good. So, Amazing season last year, second amongst rookies behind Kenneth Walker in total yards. But when you drill down into the advanced stats, you know, the Falcons faced a ton of eight-man boxes. 40% of the time, Kenneth Algier was running into them. And he averaged over five yards a carry, running into eight-man boxes. He was first in yards after contact per carry coming out of them. 
um, finished top 10 in first down rate, third down rate. The dude was a bulldozer last year. Now, the Falcons offensive line is very, very good at run blocking. Uh, and I think that obviously factors into it as well. But like, I feel like he, he he's almost a little bit of a throwback in some ways because he is um, like just so strong, keeps his legs churning. He's more explosive than he's given credit for. And I really think that he is going to continue to be productive this year when defenses try to cheat to play the pass in any way. Yeah, no, I, uh, so the, the eight man box thing is a important point because like the Falcons faced a ton of eight man boxes. They also invited a ton of eight man boxes because they just put like yeah. tight ends and fullbacks on the field. And they're like, we ain't, this is no secret how we're, how we're playing football. And Algier, when, 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 when you introduce more bodies into the box, seams become tighter and shorter lived. Like you just have to be really smart and really decisive. You know, one of the things that you see happen when backs come from college to the NFL is they're used to these like spread offenses, these six man boxes, and they're just too patient. Like they're not on their timing because they're just used to having more space, more room. They can read one guy and kind of rhythm it out. And there's, there's just a lot more freedom to it. Algier is no nonsense, right? You want to be a, a good underrated back who hangs around in the league for a long time, be a big, large man who does not hesitate, right? But put your head down, put your shoulder pads down and go. Uh, I definitely think that's going to benefit Algier in this season with Bijan. Cause like Bijan's electric. Bijan's great, but he'll probably still make rookie mistakes behind the line of scrimmage. Like it's a dramatically different run scheme than mm. what he enjoyed at Texas. And Algier is something that you could set your watch to a little bit more. The other thing is that, uh, Algiers a really nice closer, isn't he? Right? Fourth quarter, up yes. by 10. We just want to, up by six. We just want to eat the clock here. Four minute drive. 225 pounds of no nonsense. I follow my blockers. Can get the job done for Arthur Smith. So I agree. I think he's absolutely going to have a role. Which backs did you find? Yeah. Uh, I think Ramondre Stevenson's really, really good. Uh, and. and yeah. It's been a little bit tricky to find that because of the the timeshare with Damian Harris and kind of having to earn that job over him. Obviously, he is in the pole position, right? He's going to have the lion's share of the carries this year. And then they sign Ezekiel Elliott. And there's this this moment, this kind of fear, this worry of like, oh, it's going to go back to being a, a timeshare. I really don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a very clear running back one, running back two. I think that, yeah, Zeke's probably going to eat into the touchdowns a little bit if you're thinking about things from a fantasy perspective. But Ramondre is still the far more dynamic player in all aspects of the game, say for pass protection. And then like, yeah, maybe third and goal from the one uh, for context last season, Harris had only seven starts by the way, because split in time with Harris uh, or excuse me, Stevenson only had seven starts last year, split in time with Harris. Uh, he had 1,040 yards and 69 catches, mm. right? All this on 200 carries. If you go since 2000, there are only 13 backs who have had 200 carries, 60 receptions, and then still averaged five yards a carry, right? So we're, we're averaging five yards a tote on over 200 carries and impacting the receiving game at a high volume. Like, And the, the names are like McCaffrey and Westbrook and Falk and Jamal Charles, like Frank Gore. It's a good list to be on. If he gets like legitimate actual running back one volume, uh, sky's the limit. He's a 1,500 all-purpose yards uh, player and a hugely impactful player to this offense, right? Saved Mac Jones last year with his receiving ability. I think Ramondre is a top 10 back. That's a category of back where like the teams didn't, were, were insistent on splitting carries 
And then whenever that back got a chance, right. you saw it didn't. This is like the honorary Tony Pollard category, but Tony Pollard's no longer in the yeah, category. If we, did this years, pod, like, if we did this pod yeah, like, last year within 60 seconds, Tony Pollard, baby, yeah, yeah, but not this yeah. year. <laughs> uh, you know, a, a guy who I would throw into that, uh, although I have some question marks, is Khalil Herbert in Chicago. Another guy where people are like, eh, is he really an every down back? And then whenever he was given the opportunity to get high volume, he was able to sustain not just the big playability, which is his calling card, but the down to down efficiency. I understand with him, there's questions about pass protection. And I think we'll, I, I, I'm very curious to see how that running back room shakes out because they have like a lot of talent there. I really like Roshan Johnson. I think Deontay Foreman's very capable as well, but uh, I want to see how he does as running back one over the course of the season because he is a guy who like advanced metrics really love, um, not just uh, the explosive stuff, but the uh, yards over expectation have always really f- have, have favored him. You know, he ranks near the top or at the top. I think he's first in rushing yards over expectation carry. But again, some of that is like he did. He had so many explosive runs. I think he, that skews it a little bit. Uh, but the Bears' offensive line is going to be better. He runs next to one of the most dynamic running threats at quarterback in football, which makes a big difference. So he, he's a guy where I'm like, okay, this could be, you know, you and I were talking about like someone you want to plant your flag in. Yeah. This could be a year where he like breaks out and, and produces in a really big way. Yeah. I've been a big Khalil Herbert guy for a while, not least because uh, last year the Bears would run David Montgomery for the first two drives of every game, and then the third drive of the game would be Khalil Herbert's. So you just have to wait and then bet the over on Cleo Herbert's rushing prop after the second drive when it went down just automatically. Loved Cleo Herbert. Made a <laughs> lot of money on Cleo Herbert last year. Uh, something that so we're, we're talking about Ramondre, we're talking about Khalil Herbert, and we're talking about Tyler Algier. All these dudes are bowling balls, right? I mean, Cleo Herbert's like 5'9", 210. Uh, Ramondre's 6'2", 230. Tyler Algier's what, like 5'10", 225? Like these are all shorter, squattier, thicker dudes. Uh I got one more for you, and that's Jalen Warren at a, for for he's for on my Steelers, list too, right? And he's Warren, right? Warren, Warren, right he's now so is just like it, it, this is your your it's your king of like running back replacement value thing, right? Where it's yeah. uh, Najee Harris, early drafted player. Everybody's mad at the Steelers for drafting running back in the first round. He's not that efficient on a per snap basis. Negative EPA per attempt. He's got a success rate under forty percent per forty percent on the season last year. And then here's this undrafted free agent behind him, Jalen Warren, who's just can scoot, can break a tackle, nice contact balance, low to the ground. He averages. Uh, he had a, a a ten plus yard run rate double that of what Najee Harris had last year, 14% relative to 7%. He had a 46% success rate as a runner. Najee Harris had 36%. So everybody, all the numbers bros, all, all the data geeks are like, Jalen Warren's the best back in the Steelers backfield. I think there's a lot of like defenses adjusting how they play when 22 is back there versus when Jalen Warren's yeah. back there. But in general, Warren can play. Warren can absolutely hang. And he's, he's, uh, he's a strong hipster society, you know, card carrying member right now. That really is the trend with a lot of these guys. It's like, okay, am I properly taking into the context of how defenses are playing him? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sample sizes are different, but yeah, he's there a hundred percent. I think Kenneth Gainwell is like a really good example of that too. That was a guy I was like kind of mm-hmm. tossing around in my mind a little bit. Um, one more back. I just want to give an honorary shout out to Samaj P. Grant. I just like really love Samaj The, 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 king, the original back. bowling ball back. The original, just <laughs> as tall as I, I am wide back. I love him. Bro. 
don't be surprised if in this Denver offense he produces uh, at a very high level. 5'11", 236 is the listing for Samaje Piran. It's a healthy young man, baby. Okay. I think Tyler Algier is the king in our clubhouse, though. So he's he's first team all underrated on our guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, for offensive line, I'm not going to lie. I just texted Mike Golick Jr. and asked him for a bunch of names, as I am oh, to do. who does Mike uh, like? Um, okay, so I'm going to read some of these names right. to you, and you can tell me if they were on your list. Um, so uh, not Christian Derisaw, too uh, well-known. Brian O'Neill, first right name tackle. On my list. First name on my <laughs> list. Me and Mike are like this, baby. Uh Corey Lindsley, who I was like, eh, I don't know. He's pretty, everyone knows he's pretty good, but you know, yeah. the center with the Chargers, of course. Uh, he mentioned both uh, the two Lions, Frank Ragnow's center, Jonah Jackson at left guard, uh, Wyatt Teller, which is a real hipster pick for that Cleveland offensive line. Wyatt Teller guard. was like an all pro two years ago. Ah, I, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Green Bay, we talked about these guys last week, Elton Jenkins and Zach Tom. I mean, you could really yeah. like, Green Bay is funny because everybody does everything and they're all really good at it. Uh, And then uh, this was actually, I volunteered this one, but Abe Lucas, who's Seattle's right tackle, I think. um, Played well. Is a a real candidate for this list. So I thought about Dame. Thank you to Michael Jr. for most of those names. I thought about Damian Lewis for the Seahawks as well, a little bit. Uh, Damian Lewis built like a fire hydrant. He was good last year. Yeah, we're really doing a short and thick guy thing here. Uh, But he's, right, he's an ascending player. I think that he's rounding out well. I had Brian O'Neill right away. I think like one of the best compliments you can get as an offensive lineman is that nobody knows you and nobody talks about you because it just means you're doing your job and not causing problems. Brian O'Neill's just had over a thousand snaps for four straight seasons as a starting right tackle whose impact like it's like above average impact in run blocking and pass blocking and nobody talks about him. Just chopping away, just doing his job. I love Brian O'Neill. Uh, Deion Dawkins was the other guy I had at offensive tackle. Yeah. I think that Bill's offensive line has had a ton of a good transitions and changes and, and underperformance from draft picks and, and free agents. And Deion Dawkins has been holding it down as best he can at left tackle, does a, a good job there. I, I do have a recent Bill's acquisition as well in David Edwards, who was a guard long time for the Rams and now has moved to Buffalo. He was not good when they made him play tackle. <laughs> when he got to guard... It took him a little bit to settle in. He now feels like he's had a home. I was I was watching, trying mm. to get a perspective on the Bills' offensive line this summer, and I was like, David Edwards. I didn't really watch that Rams offense too much last season, if we're being honest. Uh, David Edwards had yeah, I'm his a little, I'm a little yeah. skeptical of this one. But uh, David Edwards, he's my deep cut. He's my deep cut. He's my year away Let's from see. being a year away. Watch out for David Edwards. I watched a little some of him in the Rams preseason and playing guard. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, okay, let's flip it to the other side of the ball and talk about the defensive line. Talk about you and I were talking about how defensive tackle is. Uh, yeah, a lot of candidates for this. Um, you go first. Give me, give me, give me some of your names. How many you want? You're particularly passionate about. <laughs> okay, right. give give me a few of them and then land on the one that you're maybe the most passionate about. Yeah. So there, there's the I think the the greatest hits. There's so many defensive tackles who are really really good run stoppers who also provide impact as pass rushers tier tart mm. uh philly boy tennessee titans is the classic uh tarts just a dominant physical force just eats up space collapses the pocket a ton of fun to watch grover stewart yeah. uh, who's with the colts mm. uh, plays a similar role and does it extremely well classic. uh dj jones and dj reader of the broncos and the Bengals, respectively are djs yeah. they both moved in free agency at the same time two off seasons ago and i have spent years trying to figure out which one is where 
and where they came from. Just two DJs at the same position, moving teams. It threw me off. Um, but the actual like two names I want to hang my hat on here will be Osa Digazua with the Cowboys. Uh, Osa is a 285-pound defensive tackle, which is not typically how you do it. And the Cowboys have had interior run defending problems for most of Osa's time as a permanent starter. And the fact that he's a little bit light has something to do with that. However, the Cowboys had like a 45% pressure rate as a team last year on opposing dropbacks. And a big part of the reason is because they've got a Michael Bennett-esque iteration player playing over the three-tech where this guy's just so good at getting skinny, so good at winning with his hands right away, and so freaking quick off the ball that he's able to disrupt and get upfield. He's such a uh, I create issues that other people clean up player, right? When it comes to pass rush, just get there, compromise the integrity of the pocket, make stunts easier, twists easier, games easier. Quarterback has to move, and now Michael Parsons' job just got easier. Randy Greg, or not Randy Gregory, Demarcus Lawrence's job got a lot easier. Love Osa Digazua. And then the last one, the deep cut, uh, Nathan Shepard for the Saints comes from the Jets, right? This Jets defensive oh, wow. line factory. Nathan Shepard is very well built, great hands good penetration player who just did not have to play for the Jets, just did not have to take a substantial number of snaps for them. They just had such yeah. a deep rotation. He's one that the Saints are really betting on emerging. He's a starter for them at this point, next to Kalen Saunders with all the defensive line departures that they've had. Uh, yeah. And Shepard's a player who's been highly effective in his limited reps. I think more reps, he should still be able to keep a, a relatively high floor like Nathan Shepard a lot. I, you know, I was looking at the Saints defensive line because defensive tackle is really the biggest question. I mean, the defensive yeah. line generally is like the big question with some of the departures they had. But I was like, you know, Nathan Sanders and Kayla, Sha- Kayla Saunders. Sorry, uh, Nathan Shepard and Kayla Saunders. It's tough. That's pretty good. That's pretty it- good. That's a pretty good, you know, like I, I think Saunders yeah. is decent as well. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a real deep cut. But um, yeah, I like all the names that you mentioned. Um. I wanted to give a Victoria mentioned this, I think in our, uh, Victoria is a friend of ours on Twitter, uh, mentioned uh, Daquan Jones, yeah. who I thought was a, you know, cause I think that was a, that's a really astute one because no one talks about him, but people forgot that the bills run defense was just absolute trash. And he really shored up that problem for them. Like they were quietly like so much more physical last year and better in short yardage. Right. And power situations, and I think he was a huge, huge reason why. So I, I think that's a good and one is too. he? He's a Tennessee cast off, isn't he? I'm not making that up, right? He came from Tennessee. Jones, God, what was his last team before? Yeah, it was the Titans, of course. Now the Titans yep. have Arden Key, who's also, by the way, uh, let's just stay. They have Autry and Key, who yep. are just all, all, all underrated, all pros. Yeah, first team all Perpetual. pro, underrated team, last five years in a row. Yeah, I mean Audrey's on my on my list for edges. But at one time, yeah, the Titans had Jeffrey Simmons, and then next to him, right, was Tayer Tart and Danico Autry. Uh, it was Daquan Jones. Uh, they have Arden Key now. They had Harold Landry, who when Landry was healthy, I would have argued him a spot on this team. Like it was just. Yeah. It was just some dudes, capital S, capital D, and then Jim Schwartz was coaching the defensive long. line. It was it was the ideal yeah. it was the ideal unit. I, there's still, I mean, you know, with Autry and Key, there's still, I think, and then Landry coming back from injury, really good. Um, so moving to sort of ends, um, since we're on those guys, I was gonna say Zach Sealer, but he just got a big contract. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I, but it wasn't like crazy big. I think it was small enough to where he still qualifies for this list. Um, 
yeah, I mean, Wilkins is, you know, a, 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 like a superstar in my estimation and gets most of the shine, but uh, it's really hard not to. Jaxiller, not only is he extremely stout in run defense, he really gives you pass rush upside yeah. that I think sometimes gets under recognized. Sealer and Audrey, yeah, are both two really good examples of just knowing exactly where your bread's buttered. Like, you don't need to have. 19 pass rush moves right we don't need to have like clips of you working your hands 12 different ways in the offseason like with Danico Autry it's the stutter and with Zach Sealer it's the swim and it's just listen we hit this really well and we hit it over and over and over again yeah. and it allows it to produce consistently Sealer's also weird because he's 6'6 300 like he he takes a legitimate amount of like he's technically like a defensive tackle for them uh and then he plays like a I want to say 30 40 percent of his snaps on the outside and so he's got that same thing Autry does in terms of positional versatility. That's really, really handy to have when you're, when you're trying to game your front a little bit. I'm very hesitant to talk about Zach Sealer though, because at one time I described Zach Sealer as solid and Miami Dolphins fans yelled at me for like 24 hours. And like, I just, uh, I, he's underrated. When he's a good he? player. We got to maybe chill out a little bit. He's making Devon Hamilton money. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Edge. Since we're kind of here. Uh, okay. So, gosh, there's so many ways we can go in this. I feel like all time, a guy who I would put in the uh, Luvu long NFL podcasters talk about him too much. Ogbo Karanko, yeah, former Ram in Cleveland. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about him a lot. So, but um someone who again sort of similar to i forgot who i was saying this oh maybe it was uh algier at the top who was it talking about oh no no i was talking about born you watch him you see it the advanced metrics reflect it yeah small sample size guy but um i think what just stands out to me watching him ben is just the bend um the speed when he turns court. like he i i think it, it, it's interesting that it's kind of like he's flown under the radar because he really pops on screen. Uh, and obviously now he'll have a lot of opportunities opposite uh, Miles Garrett in Cleveland. So, yeah. yeah, he's one of those guys where you go back and you read the pre-draft eval and it's like, man, quick as a wink, knows how to use his hands, understands how to finish at the quarterback, got natural physical gifts, bend, explosive, good eyes, recognition. What if he's too small to play in the NFL? And then you watch him and you're like, nope, he made it. We're good. It was Brian, it was Brian Burns, right? The same thing when Burns was on this list. He's yes. now ascended beyond this list. But it was, what if he's too light? And it's like, I don't know. He's got everything else. So so long as he like learns how to survive a little bit playing in the 240s, Frankie Louvu, when he's on the edge, he kind of, you know, moonlights uh, uh, as an edge rusher. He's more of an off-ball guy now. Mm -hmm. But it's just, can you survive at your lighter weight? And if you can, you have everything else, right? And you're also able to out-sprint some of these these big offensive tackles to the point of attack, which is huge. So Oboe's uh Obo's a, a very good example of like how a guy gets on this list, which is do something really, really, really well. Maybe have a fact of your game that's supposed to be limiting, but so long as you you have the technique and the intelligence to get over that, all of a sudden you're like a really, really good role player. Like you have a very clear job that you fill. And you feel better than a lot of people. Houston's kind of been like the all underrated defensive line now for a little bit. And they've been pumping out guys. And then I think now that you throw Will Anderson, who's very good and is going to get a lot of attention into the mix. Suddenly we're going to watch them. You're going to be like, yo, Grenard, Jerry, yeah. Hughes still doing oh, it. I should have Grenard uh, on my list. I love Grenard. That's a name right there. 
he he's in one where I've been I've watching a lot of Texans preseason football because I wanted to watch CJ Stroud mm-hmm. and um I was like, oh damn, that guy's back. He's really good. And Jerry Hughes is still good. Jerry Hughes is still good. I just I know we talk about him like it's like, oh my God, how is he still walking? Oh my, he's 35. Yeah. But when you watch him, he's still like, you know, they just line him up at the seven tech. He's still play he's still decent in run defense, still gets to the quarterback, still a good football. You know player. who could really use a player like Jerry Hughes right now? The Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Tough. Dude. Tough. My um Or the Ravens. Favorite- by the way, Ravens Ravens could use to play like Justin Houston, and apparently this That's year was the year that that was done. Also, still um, good. Yeah. yeah, my my favorite John Grenard fun fact: uh, measurables at the combine: six uh, three, fortieth percentile for edge rushers; two hundred and sixty three pounds, twentieth percentile for edge rushers; thirty four and seventh eighth inch arms, ninety second percentile for NFL rushers. Man, just got vines. Guy could guy, guy could touch his kneecaps without bending over. Love it. Um, I want to talk about Montez Sweat here. Yes, talk about I, Vines. Yeah, we both love him. It's this is the, let's 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 plant our flag, Montez Sweat, and I think he absolutely qualifies. He'd never been a Pro Bowler, um. So, it, it, but <laughs> I was talking to feel about this. What Washington did, the amount of draft capital they spent on their defensive line is I think like kind of quietly slept on when we talk about like, like it's not a thing where we uh, I don't think we talk enough about the roster construction and how historically unusual it is. And the fact that they appeared to have hit on all of them and it's just very fascinating. Now they have an interesting decision to make because of it. However, picked up his option, did not pick up Chase Young's option. They're essentially in competition this year for a long-term contract on Washington I think Montez Sweat has established himself as the dude there. Um, he is a guy. I think the the reason he's on this list is the sacks haven't been there, but the pressures and the hits are there. And um, Bill Barnwell has this great um, uh, metric, I guess you would call it, where it, he he you're. I think the way he does it is whatever your quarterback hits or knockdowns are, you should have a 45% sack rate. Judging by that, Sweat had 28 hits last year, which amounts to nearly 13 sacks, but he only had eight. Yeah. So there's a suggestion that, okay, you know, he he should be getting more sacks. And then when you turn on the tape and you watch him, he should be getting more sacks. The dude is so strong i think that's the thing that just just leaps off of the tape is the power that he plays with and i think he has one of the best long arms in football him and gary i think who are who's actually a pretty similar player in some respects but i think you see you've seen him over the last over the course of his career in washington slowly add to his pass rush plan to me, this feels like a guy who's like right on the edge of putting it all together, and I feel like this could be his year. Yeah. So I, I the thing with Sweat and, and the sack numbers is that Sweat's such a useful player to have because he's so good at compromising pocket integrity, right? Sweat, oh, like you said, that long arm, that power. Sweat will take your left tackle and put him in the quarterback's lap, right? Now, now, now we, your quarterback can't escape off the left side. He has to move to his right. You can loop to that side. You can game to that side. He's such a useful crasher. He's such a useful disruptor. And you don't get the sack numbers out of that. You do get 
uh, 11th in the league last year in pressure rate, which is what he was right among defensive linemen. Uh, you, or excuse me, he was 14th. My, my guy coming up is 11th. I apologize. He was 14th, but so you, you get that, that, that ability to maximize the other guys. John Allen has an easier time getting sacks, chase young, Deron Payne, whoever, F.A. Obata, Adoba, F.A. Adoba, whoever, I can't remember his last name. Obata. The Obata. These guys have an easier time getting sacks he because of Montez Sweat, yeah. who also could be on the list. So if you, yeah. want to transition sweat to being a high sack guy he does have to change the paradigm with which he operates a little bit and say like all right you're no longer rushing to contain the quarterback rushing to, to relocate the quarterback you have to actually finish these reps but he's a useful player no matter what because you just you, you don't have guys who have this physical toolkit who can be as disruptive as he is this is why he's be- like a more useful player than chase young or the chase young we saw yes. the, before he got hurt because chase sometimes was pass rushing with the intent to get sacks. Montez Sweat was rushing the quarterback with the intention to collapse the pocket and make life easier for everyone else on the defensive line. Um, he he. There, when he was on the field last year, you saw such a more disciplined pass rush plan. They they rushed as a unit. That's why they were so good. Uh, I think he's a really really good player. Uh, is 11th Jalen Phillips in pressure rate? Who's 11th in pressure no, rate? No, I thought about Jalen Phillips. I do. I, am Too, I don't think he's underrated enough. Yeah, I'm a proud owner of a Jalen Phillips defensive player of the year ticket that we're, we're, we're holding on to. I'm excited about that. No, this is, honestly, this is one of the first names I wrote down, and that's John Franklin Myers, the pass rusher for the New York Jets. Uh, ah. Right. Franklin Myers was a guy who got was on the Rams, had like some preseason moments, got cut. The Jets picked him up. Robert Sala in the building and they whatever whatever they got DNA wise that that San Francisco defensive staff of the last few years, they, they can develop defensive linemen. Franklin Myers is a little bit of a tweener build. He's got great length to him. And they said, all right, this 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 cat can defend the run for us. He can compromise the pocket a little bit Montez sweat style. But obviously, we're going to need to you know improve upon this, whatever. So let's go. We're going to get Carl Lawson in free agency, and we're going to uh, sign Jermaine or draft Jermaine Johnson. And we're going to draft Will McDonald. We're going to do all this. Bryce Huff's developing. Like we're going to we're going to you know fill out the roster. And all of a sudden, every single year, you know who the best pass rusher off the edges for the Jets? It's John Franklin Myers, who's just tough as nails hands like cinder blocks holy smokes can he beat you with a line of scrimmage uh so he, he can control you right he can win against the run he can win on play action then he can knife right he's, he's a 274 275 pound guy so you can all right third and seven stand him up in the b gap let's cause some problems like he is he is a such a useful player he's he's uh, very similar to the mold of montez sweat a little bit not not as good of an athlete not as good of an outside rusher but still just so handy to have around maximizes your other guys i feel like the the Jets defensive line is known as like Quinn and Williams. And then like this rotation of big name edge rushers that they've got in the building. And the guy who just starts on first and 10 takes the line share of the snaps and is helpful in all three downs is always John Franklin Myers. Pick a jet, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bryce Huff. I mean, Bryce Huff. Yeah. <laughs> we mentioned uh, our call, our friend, Nate Tice, who, uh, for, uh, unfortunately, invoked the uh, the ire of Jets fans, and I think Bryce Huff himself by saying Bryce Huff was crushing backups. That's how, that's how the Jets fans happening. found. Yeah, that's how the Jets fans found it. Bryce Huff quote tweeted it because <laughs> Nate was like, "Oh, oh no. like Bryce Huff is a uh, backup offensive tackle's nightmare." And Bryce Huff was like, "You haven't been watching the film," which is a great thing no, to say we, to Nate because all Nate wants to do is watch the film. <laughs> I'll say it was, it was like all 22 of the preseason. It's like, well, you're, they, right. you're playing. I don't know why you're playing. You're too good to be playing. Bryce House is really That's good. That's a good point. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Edgewise, also, I uh, thought of a uh, – it's funny. Like, I thought 
uh, a guy, Jalen Phillips and Matt Judon are my guys who are too successful, but I think don't Judon's get enough credit. So yeah. Uh, a guy who I think is like perpetually underrated and is, I can't believe he's on the Steelers is Marcus Golden, but that's, a, that's just too, that's too. Yeah. Gold, Golden's a uh, yeah. This feels like a good place because to lamp, we got to pick up, pick it up a little bit. Um, linebacker slash edge. We can now officially talk about Frankie Luvu. Uh, I think we, so <laughs> why is Frankie Luvu the, um, object of adoration of the NFL nerd community. How, how should I count the way? First, I think it's worth acknowledging uh, why he is the poster child for this list. Um, we're talking about a player who was not only undrafted, but the Panthers signed basically on a flyer. It was a one year, like $1 million deal as recently as 2021 comes in balls out they sign him to a bigger deal two-year extension balls out again um i think there's so many things i love about his game both as an off the ball linebacker and as a passer so i guess his versatility is the number one thing when he is on the field you just absolutely have no idea what he's going to do uh but like to me, Ben, I think the thing that I want to highlight is the physicality with which he plays with. And maybe this is why he, I love watching him so much. He flies around the field like a banshee and then the tackles. Yeah. And then tackles like he's 50 pounds bigger than he is. What is not to love about a player? I mean, he will blow up screens and send them into the never world. Like he's just, and this is not even when he's lined up as a pass rusher, which is where you get, you know, a lot of the sacks and the unpredictability. He is just such a good football player. He is such a, and he's such a, there's really, I think a dearth of linebackers in the league who can do that right now, who can do all the things that I described at such a high level and he can cover too. So there's just so much to love you brought up his like his background right like you know the the undrafted free agent signing on 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 the 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 minimum deal he plays like it right that's that's the thing about frankie is he plays like his hair's on fire he plays like it's meat on the table right last meal you gotta go uh the other so the the physicality the instincts right like he'll he'll have those reps where like he's blitzing and he'll time it right on the snap where he knows the count right and he's able to get that that head of steam knows for the ball right i mean he creates turnovers too like he this is this is this is a guy who's got the, the the playmaker ability to him right where you just trust him to get you out of a bad spot defensively because he's going to be able to to read something or intuit something or, or, or find find the football and generate a turnover like that the the instincts are the players with instincts are so fun to watch and frankie it just drips off of lulu's film right <laughs> especially when you watch a player like he's next to shaq thompson and at times shaq is a very good athlete is not as fast to choose and Frankie and then Jeremy Chin, who I thought about Jeremy Chin, their safety for this list as well. Those cats are just flying. They're just, they're moving at light speed. They're really fun to watch. He's like the, I like to call them teleporters where a right. guy who gets, he maybe had 19 TFLs last year, which is bonkers, by the way, I think might've been a franchise record. I'm not sure, but, um, which is incredible, by the way, if you're on a franchise that employed Luke Keekley at one point, but, but yeah. the point is, you, he is he's a teleporter because you watch him and then he's in the backfield or he's 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 got you know he's pulling down the running back and you don't understand how it happened you have to slow it down and watch it almost like frame by frame to see how he navigates his way 
through traffic because it does not make sense in real time. It certainly doesn't. You're like, oh my god, how did he get from there to there? Um, yeah, he rules. Um, okay, uh, other guys, we David Long, we talk about enough. Juwan Bentley is another oh. guy who's like a little. These are my three names that throwback. I have at linebacker. Are those three right there? <laughs> Easy. Uh, and then I, I wanted to include Dre Greenlaw, but I'm like, ah, you get to play next to Fred Warner. He's so. the, he, <laughs> Mina, there's a blank name on my list. Like I have it in Google Sheets. There's a blank cell because it's Dre Greenlaw and I deleted him because I was like, nah, it, Dre's yeah, known at this point. Yeah. Do I, am I punishing him for playing next to Fred Warner? He, know, a lot of what but, you say um, about Frankie, you say about Dre, he's extremely instinctive. He plays yeah. like a bat. Like he's so fast, right? He plays aggressively. Um, you just know the formula there in San Francisco a little bit better than you do in Carolina. Yeah. So it's easier to dole out credit elsewhere. The one name that I was bouncing this this uh, this list off people and good buddy Seth Galino of PFF, who's a noted Saints fan, was upset that I didn't have Pete Werner on it. And I was like, you know what? That's actually right. Like, Pete Werner it plays pretty well next to Demario Davis. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they've been trying to find, I think, a really consistent running mate for, for Davis. Like, there was that moment where it looked like it was going to be Quan Alexander and then it wasn't. Werner actually like legit cover ability to him and then he can stick a guy like he for a lighter linebacker he can play among the trees and survive so i do i do like a pete werner for that reason it's a good one kate nellis who's with the saints last I know, yeah, year kate is your boy, yeah. he's a little bit more one-dimensional though so i was kind of like yeah uh i actually think the denver linebackers are kind of underrated but i didn't think they were good enough to make this list but they're, they're i am uh they're unwilling solid. to engage in alex singleton discourse for the sake of my own <laughs> mental health he's pretty he's pretty good though uh okay Let's let's see, let's do the let's wrap it up with the secondary. Um, let's do corner, mm-hmm. and let's start by uh, talking about a guy that uh, I think we might disagree on because you didn't uh, have DJ Reed on your list. Yeah. You uh, you have some quibbles with DJ Reed, uh, so I may, I admit to a little bit of bias because DJ kind of well he, he was from San Francisco and then in Seattle was where he kind of broke out got a decent contract in New York. I think what, um, why I feel like he deserves his place on this list, Ben is, uh, one, he dude's five foot nine and we love is, yeah. And is like, uh, plays a lot bigger than his size. And I think, um, compensates for his size with his intelligence, uh, especially as his own corner You really saw that in Seattle. But the other thing is like, he plays opposite sauce Gardner, so he gets targeted, you know, <laughs> decent. Well, people generally don't throw the outside versus New York, but y- you'd think a five foot nine guy playing opposite Sass Gardner would be such an obvious mark for offenses to attack and still held his friggin' own last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it just the what he's overcome and then his situation. The fact that he still is very good to me is really impressive. So here's here's why right, like, we talked about DJ beforehand. DJ's good. He's a good player. Good corner. Uh, Jets fans, I talked about John Franklin Myers. I had <laughs> Michael Clemens Jets? on my list. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> here's why Reed, I struggle to put Reed on this list. Because Sauce Gardner, good on him, by the way, good on the rookie, has done such a good propaganda campaign for DJ Reed. Right? They asked <laughs> Sauce, who's your favorite corner in the league? And he said, DJ Reed. <laughs> Which is that's that's just good work. That's good business. Um, no, like they they had such a huge improvement in coverage, and Sauce was a massive part of that. But the signing of DJ Reed was the other half of it, and they did a really good job. I think the Jets did in highlighting that. Like Reed's a good player who's playing well for them. I don't think he's underrated. I think he gets a lot. I think he gets a ton of a, 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 a mm. credit and and so rightfully deserved credit perception. relative to like yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, like I've got like, you know, like Cam Sutton on my list. Love Cam Sutton. Cam, I mean, Sutton, Cam Sutton is also on my list. Yeah. Let's talk about Cam Sutton. Yeah. He's the he he to me is the you know, the the Luvu of corners right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, he I, I would actually say he's more like the David Long because when the Lions signed him, every, all of NFL nerddom yeah. was like slow clap Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> every just uh, every like single him? person just a, just a quick uh, you know, in week six when we're wondering why the Lions defense improved, it's gonna be Cam Sutton. Yeah. Uh Cam's tough. Uh, as nails, what do you like right? about him? Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Cam uh when when the Steelers let go of Mike Hilton, uh who I have Mike Hilton in my like nickel category. Hilton's like an, an honorable emeritus position on this list. Um, when the, when the Steelers let Hilton walk, it was in part because they're going to play Sutton in the nickel. And you're asking yourself, okay, like Hilton's just known for this toughness that he's willing to tackle. He sticks his nose in the fan. Sutton going to bring this. Mm-hmm. And then you watch Sutton yeah. play and you're like, that, ah, yep. Steelers know what they're doing, right? He is a aggressive and physical player who then would get challenged to play on the outside because of injury, because of, of changing personnel and survived out there as well. So now you have the versatility to play inside and out. He can comfortably play in man coverage up at the line of scrimmage from both alignments, which is really, really, really hard to do. Uh, and then he can also play in zone. Really important so, in the Detroit defense, yeah. by the way. And then he's got yeah. really, really good zone eyes. It's like what he was more known for like uh, initially before his NFL career kind of blossomed. Uh, Sutton is just, like he he's not rock steady. Like he'll grab, he'll give up stuff, he'll 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 jump, he'll take some some risks, but they're generally calculated and he'll pay you off with playmaking with force fumbles and with tackling. Extremely likable corner. Uh so I am always a little bit hesitant to use uh stats when talking about cornerback play for all the obvious reasons. It's very hard. You know, the NGS does their best to, to try to isolate the nearest defender, but you don't, you know, know it's, it's hard to account for all the things that happened and happen in terms of coverage. Uh, that said, the he, Cam Sutton is a guy who really pops when you start looking at stats last year, uh, allowed the third lowest passer rating as the nearest defender first in catch rate under expectation fourth in Hawk rate, which is basically NGS's way of, you know, rewarding guys who make plays on the ball ninth in success rate. Uh, yeah, just super solid, no matter how you slice it coming from a Detroit secondary or a Detroit, pardon me, pass defense that played a lot of different looks, I think is going to be really, really nice for them. Uh, I'll just throw out a bunch of names of guys. I liked, um, two, I have two rookies. I think both Deron Bland, who was a Cowboys nickel, who got a lot yes. of snaps last year. Is he a rookie? Or was he just a first year starter? He was Anyways, a rookie. He was a um, fifth round pick last year. Yeah. And so it's coming okay. year two. Uh, and then another one who I really thought was awesome when he played was Trent McDuffie in Kansas City. Uh, oh, that's good. One. Go Huskies. Uh, no, just I, I, I like you. His absence was really felt when he got hurt. Super, super sound. Great tackler. Um, not responsible. He, you know, he, he's really, really good eyes. I, I think my questions about him were more athleticism and physical, physical profile, like speed uh, coming out of college. But I think he held up really nicely. Um, I'm going to throw out, uh, one that was actually mentioned in, I think our request for replies, but I think Michael Davis deserves a lot of credit for what he did with the chargers last year, basically outperforming JC Jackson, who was their marquee signing big part of the reason why they kind of figured things out during over in the home stretch last season. Am I missing any other names you want to nod to quickly before we move on to safety? I love Ron Bland. 
Uh, I have uh, Chido Wuzier down. I have another rookie into year two player, Alante Taylor for the Saints, who just like, at some Ooh, point, the Saints have got to not... Yeah. At some point, they got to stop getting yeah. away with this. It's so annoying. Uh, so I like that one. The one guy who I really wanted to like shout from the rooftops because I, I he's such a good player but he's underappreciated because of the ball production is carlton davis who's the corner for the bucks you know carlton mm. davis has never made a pro bowl that blew it, my mind i i think both him and dean are really underrated yeah like when you look at that defense and you're trying to figure out what the hell the bucks are you're like damn they still have one of the better cornerback duos in the nfl since 2020 the last three seasons carlton davis has 41 pass breakups okay that's that's sixth mm. among all corners he has six interceptions which is not sixth among all corners it's way, way, way worse than sixth among all corners. When Carlton Davis came out of Auburn, the book was, if this dude could catch, he'd be the best corner in the draft. Six years later, if this dude could catch, he'd be the best corner in the league. So the ball skills are, are, are the thing that holds Carlton Davis back. But man, when we talk about a, a corner with legit NFL wide receiver size, with, with incredible press technique and then the fluidity to move, right? To actually match these shiftier dudes. Carlton Davis, he's all that in a bag of chips. If we could just get the man on a jugs machine... And we we be cooking with gas, <laughs> but that's 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 why he gets underappreciated, right? Only six interceptions. He doesn't get the name recognition. But Carlton Davis, lights out player. I love him so much. That's good. That's a good one. Okay, I have three safeties. Can I that's guess so much crossover? We have. Yeah. Can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess that two yeah, of them yeah, are yeah. Kyle Duggar okay. and Cam Curl. Yeah, and the third is Javon Holland. <laughs> oh, Holland's a good one. Holland Holland is a is a big like. I think Holland is is very good, and I think a lot of people realize that he's definitely good but i think after one year in a vic fangio defense folks are gonna be like holy smokes javon holland yeah he 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 feels a little bit yeah um i'll I'll focus i've talked about duggar like too much to the point where he might have to take out a restraining order on me so let me talk about cam curl because i cam curl's a guy who uh made his first three albums i i remember watching Washington when he was a rookie and I had no, I had no idea who he was. No idea. As a, I don't even know where he went to college. Maybe you could tell me. I don't, I. Oh, Arkansas. Draft, Woo pig, baby. Now had zero opinions on him. Turn on the Washington defense and was like, who, who the hell is this guy? He's actually really good. And it's funny that I say that. And I, I bring that up because not only did I think he jump pop to me as a rookie, he has gotten better every year and i think that's why i want to shout like give him because you know he was you know i was like yeah he's box safety tackle you know he's good in run defense but he has improved as a cover safety every year and i think gives them um flexibility on the back end because of his versatility that was not the case maybe earlier in his career where i you didn't feel as comfortable saying okay you know you can cut you can you can use disguise um, with him as a, a, in split safety looks. Now I think you can. I think he's become a true all-around safety, and I think um, uh-huh. Washington should pay him. So I extremely agree on Cam Curl, who, again, has like the – he has, he has the uh, like the physicality, the instinctiveness, the aggressiveness we talked about with these defenders. And the limiting factor was him was people thought he wouldn't be fast enough. Right? He just wouldn't have the athletic mm-hmm. ability, the, the speed and the explosiveness. And he just made up for that by being really smart and really quick. Like I had Talanoa Hufanga out of San Francisco on this list. And then I was like, ah, he's probably not like 100% there yet. Like he was hot and cold last year. Hufanga's guy's got to learn from Cam Curl's tape in terms of where you take your risks, how you take mm. them, how you maximize having a profile that maybe not, doesn't necessarily have the athleticism you'd like. While thinking about Cam Curl, I remembered how much I liked Derek Forrest last year, who's he's the other too. safety. He's a good player, too. Uh, yeah, he's really good. 
like, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preempt Mina, and I'm gonna go for the the new hipster commander. That is out hipstering yeah. Cam yeah. Curl. Dan Cam Curl's yeah, mainstream now. Oh, you like that's Cam good. Curl? Well, I like Cam Curl. Derek Forrest, that's who good. um, if I always say when if you have a safety who's gonna have high versatility, he's gonna be able to play a lot of different roles for you. Yeah. You need to have an equal but opposite force. The other guy also has to be able to do that, right? He has to be able to realistically line up in a bunch of different spots and hang. And that's Derek Forrest. Better on the roof, whereas Cam Curl's better in the box, so they have good synergy there. But Forrest can actually line up and play over tight ends and survive. He's got enough uh, size and length for it. And then he'll be physical. He'll step down against the run. He'll make a tackle. I think that both Curl and Forrest lack what you like in terms of covering slot corners and then you remember fuller's on this team you're like oh or covering slot receivers and then you remember fuller's on this team and you're like oh right that's why the commander secondary works so well so there's derek forrest my uh my i i, I saw the tape on you i threw a change up i think the commanders are gonna be so good on defense man did you see emmanuel forbes uh blow up that sc- or, uh he i think it was a tfl mm-hmm. i can't remember which player it was zay but, flowers you know obviously oh, it was zay flowers okay Who's small? So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, watching that, yeah, it was reminded of how much I liked uh, Forbes as a prospect, which is, um, you know, he just the mm-hmm. uh, vision and intelligence with which he plays with when he's off is going to be so important for that defense. And yeah, I'm excited about yeah. that. All and right. I also, we did I also almost had Jamin Davis, uh, their linebacker, because he's, mm-hmm. he's growing a little bit. So yeah, the commanders have got like five dudes on defense. He was getting better than last year. He was, he, was, he, was, he was settling in. It was not good to start. He's getting there. I'm a Jamin Davis believer. Well, somebody maybe should write all these down and we can put together a team and see how many of these guys end up being pro bowlers. But um, if you guys feel like we left anyone out, hit me in my mentions, unless it's Aaron Jones. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Ben, I feel like... You were once on my all underrated team, but now you are too big. You guys can oh, catch Ben on oh. <laughs> the Ringer NFL show uh, or the uh, Eagle show um, with Shield Capati. I guess you and Shield do both the Ringer and the, the NFL show, and you do an Eagle show together. So you guys are. Shield and I are podcasting together four times a week this year. So say a, say a prayer to whatever God uh, to Shield Capadia. He's going to have a long fall coming to him. Uh, this was super fun. Uh, hope to have you back on during the regular season. Guys, stick around for Seth Walder after the break. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. 
Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, we are back. And as promised, as advertised, I am joined by my friend. He's been on this show before, ESPN's analytics writer. I call it, I, don't, I don't know if you're the only person who has that title. I, I like how I just said you're ESPN's analytics writer. I don't know. Maybe you're the only I like that too. Let's stick with that. You're, well, you are an analytics writer. Uh, you do fantastic work for us covering the NFL. Seth Walder, you guys should follow him on Twitter if you don't already. I think it, are you just Seth Walder? Seth Walder ESPN? Yep. Okay, you got your name. That's good. Um, someone that I talk to a lot and ask a lot of really annoying questions and um, probably treat too, a little too much like my own personal Siri when it comes to trying to find stuff on True Media. But uh, I'm excited to have you on right now because I asked you to do something. I did ask you to do something <laughs> pretty specific uh, that I thought would be kind of fun going into the season as we're nearing week one, um, which is sort of something that you do already, which is constantly looking at stats and trying to, uh, or just looking for trends and things that are interesting and, and, and uh, things that might have some bearings on season this year. So I asked you um, for statistical takeaways from the last season. And, and then I thought we could use that as a jumping off to talk about whether they continue, how they might affect certain teams and and uh you came up with some really good ones we're gonna go through a few are you ready to deliver i am ready thank you for the kind intro i am ready uh let's do your first one because your first one is like a really i i think your the the thing you sent me first is one of the most significant trends in football right now uh and really affects i think um every team in the nfl but you know especially when we talk about the good teams good offenses the good defenses so what what is your first finding the first thing, I'm really happy you asked me to do this because I think like, you know, we're in the season and you're feeling things happening, but we're looking at so many different specific things. And then now it's like we've got this big gap away from the the year. And it's good to like look at the whole league sometimes in yeah. and just see how that how things have changed. And so like it was the first thing I did was I know we had this, we knew that passing was passing efficiency or we were talking about rushing efficiency closing the gap on on passing efficiency over the course of the year and um it was it was you know true to some degree but i was i was looking at it in retrospect and and what i was 
honestly shocked about the degree here, uh, which is that early down passing in terms of EPA per dropback was at its lowest level last season since 2006. And that kind of blew my mind. I did not expect to see that number. Like, did you, did you expect it to be that way? No, not that much. Um, So what you are describing is something that you and I have talked about. I think we talked about on this show, we talked about NFL live last year, um, which is, it's really, I think, I feel like you have to kind of go back in time. So basically, about five to seven years ago, offense exploded. Passing offense exploded. Teams realized it was advantageous to pass on early downs. And then a couple years ago, defenses sort of fought back. I, I say a couple years ago. I think that's kind of when it really started because 2021 was the famous Patrick Mahomes too high <laughs> uh, conundrum. But you really saw, I think, increasingly, oh, shoot, like these defenses are basically making a concerted effort to take away the deep ball. That's the, I think in layman's terms, the simplest way to describe what happened. So, and then last year, you noticed that it just affected the way offenses played. You affect, affected the efficiency of certain offenses. But I, that, but that's a very dramatic shift. Like there, there's a saying that, and I think we say that and we're like, but you should still like throw the ball, you know, but, um, and you should still throw the ball a lot. But I think uh, that is like, defense really fought back is, 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 is what I guess my first reaction to that. Like, wow. Like it's not that the passing evolution is over by any means or that uh, offenses are going to dramatic, go back to like ground and pound old school football, whatever, but the easy pickings, it's kind of like um, in the stock market, like there was like a boom and I don't want to say it busted. Like it wasn't like a bubble burst, but you know, the, the dramatic gains, I feel like, really recessed. Yeah, I feel like there are, there's two, I, you made this point, but I think we've got to be really clear that's like, there is a difference between saying that the gap between rushing and passing dropped, but still passing on early downs is way more efficient <laughs> than rushing. That continues to be the yeah. case. Like, it's EPA per dropback on early downs is plus 0.07. Rushing down early downs, we're talking about design design carries, negative uh, 0.02. I'm sure it would be lower if we uh, eliminated quarterback runs. So there's still a big gap between those numbers, just smaller than it's ever been. I think what surprised me is that I always imagined that this, this would happen over time, that there would be this reduction because it was just too big an edge. It couldn't last forever, but that the reason that would happen is because teams would just start passing more and more and more and more until the efficiency dropped. Yeah. And that's not really what happened. Like it is true that teams passed more in early downs relative to like the late 2000s, but over the last 10 years, it's been really kind of flat. And it's what you said, which is defenses changing really over the last five years, only defenses changing the way they do it. And, the way they defend those early downs. And like the numbers are pretty stark. Like what you described, take away the deep ball. In 2017, too high rate, too high percentage on early downs, 35% of dropbacks, 35% of the time, 44% last year. So that's a that's a big spike. And in every one of those seasons, yards per attempt against single high coverage on early downs was higher than yards per attempt 
against too high coverage, which is like what we expect, but I think it's good to see it bear out. Dropbacks against light boxes. If we're just looking at 12, let's look at 12 and 21 personnel. How often do they get light boxes? 2017, 32%, 2022, 43%. So like teams are just more willing to say, hey, okay, yeah, run on us, go for it, give it a shot. Uh, and and that's what's that's what's changed. That to me is is really interesting. But I still think teams should be, you know, still crank up that the, the it's clearly the team should be cranking up passing more often despite all of this. I think it, it like what we're talking about is you're describing a statistical phenomenon that's the product of really two things defensive structure and philosophy. And then I think the kind of players that defenses have, which is defenses have gotten lighter. There's been so much investment in pass defense at the expense of run defense. So, you know, naturally defenses have gotten better for those two reasons at playing the pass. I think the next question and the one that you're kind of hinting at, but I think it's a little complicated because as you said, it is still more efficient to pass on early downs is like, okay, so what should your offense look like, right? Because um, we know that these are the broader trends happening with defenses. What kind of, like, what's the optimal way to build an offense in 2023? And I think that's a really complicated question because we have seen different types of offenses basically solve what you and I are talking about. Um, First, I'll go back to the Chiefs because I think they are, sort of exhibit A for just what is the optimal way to do everything (laughs) in the NFL. And obviously having Mahomes and Reed changes a lot of that. But, you know, I have to think there were conversations in the building like, hey, defenses are changing. Maybe we can move on from Tyreek Hill. And, you know, you know, because of they uh, parted ways with him after that 2022 one too high conundrum. And we want to invest in our interior offensive line. We want to get better at running the ball. It doesn't mean we're going to run the ball on early downs. We're going to have a really, really deadly, efficient, quick passing game. Our quarterback is going to learn how to solve it like a you know cyborg that he is. But we want to be more multiple. We're going to put multiple tight ends on the field, that kind of thing. So there's that thing, which is like, let's be more multiple. Let's worry a little bit less about... Uh, you know, We don't have to be as explosive, but we can still be really efficient. And then you have teams like Atlanta that is solving it in kind of a different way, which is totally zigging where the league is zagging and going like super heavy and uh, investing in their skill players, a team that does run the ball, but runs the ball really well on early downs. And I think my, I'm kind of rambling, but my point is just, there's no right answer, but I think the best offenses are at least recognizing that this is happening and saying, okay, we have to have a lot of solves. The Bengals, too, more similar to the Chiefs. But, like, we have to have a lot of solves for this because, again, the easy stuff just isn't there anymore for offenses. And I think that's just the the way I would sum all the this up. The other cheat code, is not, which is play action, is not working as well as it once did. Yeah, that is fascinating. You know, when I said at the beginning, like, it's like what we expected to be like teams pass more and more and more and more and efficiency would drop. And that didn't really happen. But that did happen with play action. Where the team's play action is increase, 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 increase. And its efficiency is dropping, 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 dropping. Now, it's still true 
that like play action dropbacks early down on early downs still more efficient than than, than just non play action dropbacks. So like it doesn't mean we haven't reached the equilibrium yet, but it's not what it once was in terms of its in terms of its value, which could have been another like answer to your question, but is like de- increasingly yeah. less of an answer. And that's where a team like the Niners are another example of a sol- like a team that an offense that solved some of this stuff because. That's a team that used to be wide zone play early, early down play action, um, and they have moved off of that. The run game has evolved. Something we talked about in NFL Live is the way the run game evolved in response to how defenses were playing uh, outside zone runs in particular. Um, but you know, like there are other ways that Kyle Shanahan now creates mismatches and optionality underneath. Um, that yeah are just really just a response to how modern defenses are built. I think this is really it, 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 this is what you just described. And we'll move on to the next thing. Really informs to me how all the best offenses are being built right now. And but but the, but it's it's they're all different. So there's not like a one a one size fits all solution for this. So it's really it's really quite interesting. And I want to say one more thing. It's not like speed still doesn't matter. Speed matters in terms of creating space. You know, you can play all the too high you want. It doesn't, if we saw it with Miami, you know, like it, it still matters. Uh, but it's just not as easy as it used to be. Okay. What is your number two? Okay. So we have these new metrics called the receiver tracking metrics. We unlock, uh, we released last year. <clears throat> we break down receivers abilities to get open, make the catch, generate yak, all relative to expectations about the play, like based on what route they ran, the coverage, uh, crucially, who's playing quarterback, uh, a bunch of factors like that, whether there's play action. And we those are all available on, on 538. You can look at them individually. We do have also a, a team version of that. It's not available anywhere, but it's it's what you would imagine, which is just, it's just like a weighted average of all the receivers. And I was just looking at, the top 10 teams in the RTM's overall score. So that's all three categories together. Those were the Seahawks, 49ers, Steelers, Bengals, Vikings, Eagles, Saints, Chargers, Falcons, Browns last year. And those teams had a win percentage of 600. And I just thought, you know, that's kind of interesting for a stat that, you know, on one hand, it's like, okay, team, you know, teams whose players play well win more games. I get it. But like, on, on the other hand, it's like that we're, we're doing our best to isolate receiver play from quarterbacks. And I thought, you know, like, you know, Kansas City, we know that about their passing efficiency and they are not on that list. And it just made me think about the value of the receiver position, receiver tight end position. Uh, I think the league certainly feels that way, though. I'm I've, this we're coming up an offseason where receivers didn't get paid as much as at least I thought they were going to get paid. Yeah. And it just had me wondering about teams with really good receivers who could, I don't know, maybe elevate, elevate their play. And like Pittsburgh is the one that really jumps out to me. Our number, those RTM numbers love Deontay Johnson and love George Pickens uh, for two diff, completely different reasons. And I just wonder if that's, that's how, you know, that's how the Steelers end up making that leap. And maybe, you know, could not explain the Seahawks last year, all of that. Go so, ahead. Wait, this is just receivers, receivers and tight ends. Receivers, receivers and tight ends. Right. Or, yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, oh, okay. All right. So, all right. I was going to draw a different. Just, okay. So, it w- would your broader takeaway then be like 
as much as we value the position, it's possible that it's still not. I think, I think potentially, I guess like to me, to me, receiver is the most, the second most important position in the sport. And I think that the league as a whole seems to view it as one of the most important, Hmm. most important non-QE positions. I don't know. That's how I think. Do you think it's the second most important position? Uh, it's, God, I haven't really. I would have said on both, yeah, both sides, both of, the sides of the football. I don't know. While, while you're thinking, I'll just say, like, to be, because I think I, there may not, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. I did the Sloan panel this year, the NFL one, and we talked about positional value. And I, I said this and I asked if people, or I ranked all the positions and I said, like, tell me where I'm wrong, right? We're talk, we have people in the, in the, in the league, in front offices. And that was where there was pushback. Was receiver at number two better than edge, better than tackle? Are you so sure? I think what's tricky about it, because I think it's kind of like if you were building a hypothetical team and, you know, let's say you like, let, let's throw money out the window, because I think money is where this complicates. And I'll get to why in a second. And you were like, okay, I get to pick the best of things. And I, you know, but then I have to prioritize the things. Um, I think that this is a total cop-out answer, but it depends on who your quarterback is. Uh, so it, if I had like a, a truly elite quarterback, well, but then it's like, well, you could just double dip and then have like a, it's hard with edge. I don't know, because I am tempted to say, get to the quarterback, be the court. I, that's just kind of how I have always thought about football. Um, I do think I would probably put receiver next. This is um, the old yeah. Sewell Chase meme debate. Uh, but I think it's uh, it, the, financially it's all very fraught because of the fact that a lot of teams you mentioned, young receivers are just coming in and they're so awesome. And that is what makes the position unique from, I would argue, most almost every other position in the NFL right now is the quality – of receiver we are getting out of the, these drafts lately um, is unbelievable, including, you know, many of the teams you listed there have guys on rookie contracts who came in and were fantastic immediately. Uh, but, you know, that sh- I, I, I like that probably should affect draft strategy too. Obviously it does. I think, even this year, I think the receivers went earlier than people thought they would. Um, you know, there was like a sense like, oh, this is such an amazing tight end class. We might get like a bunch of tight ends taken early and then the receivers drop. Nope. Receivers all, they, you know, there was a run on them. And I think, uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the first thing we talked about and the second thing are in conflict at all? Ooh. Are they in conflict like if being explosive passing downfield isn't the you know cheap fix it used to be does it matter i I still think to have elite wide receivers could see it both ways because like you know like a quick counter argument would be like well if not everybody can do it anymore then it really pays if you can and then the other thing i guess i just think about is like what is the what is the best way to build a winner in the NFL? And that is to have a good passing offense. That, yeah. that has to be true. 
Well, I think I, I think your first point is kind of where I w- what I would say, which is, well, if you don't have the good receivers, then they're not going to play shell coverage against you, right? So you know they're they're doing this because you have of these also these awesome receivers. So um, I think it, I think it matters because it just has such a dramatic uh, dramatic influence on how defenses play you. I like your rookie um, argument though. Yeah. Because that's like what's that what's one of the arguments against the running backs, right? I can always draft a guy who's who's just as good as you. And it's is not this that's an extreme example of of what we're talking about. But like like let's just combine them. Like my number three thing here was how good the rookie class was last year. You know, they had they had four rookie receivers came in the top twenty of the receiver tracking metrics overall. Who were they? So that was that was Olave. Pickens, Garrett Wilson, and Christian Watson among wide receivers only. If you include tight ends, then Watson gets bumped to 21. But uh, like that's really good, really good, and it and it sure makes me think about. Well, one, I think we I think we may not like one of the things I love about the receiver tracking metrics is that because they try to be quarterback agnostic, you know, a guy like Chris Olave being sixth in those. I think it's saying like, hey, with a, with better quarterback play, you would be recognizing him as, I don't know, like a CD Lamb level receiver. I mean, uh, and and it makes me think about this class, right? And like what it, what it could mean yeah. for the Vikings or the Seahawks or the Chargers uh, or the Ravens to add a player like that. This that this whole the thing about re- receivers and and you know, I'm sure. Listeners know all the various reasons why going back to youth football and seven on seven and the rules and all of that. It feels like a trend that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Like it, there was a moment where it's like, okay, Justin Jefferson, but are we really going to find a Jamar Chase? And, and it's like every year these dudes just shred. And I, I mean, just watching even some of the rookies this year, and this isn't even like a quote unquote good receiver class. They're just so good at, creating separation and route running, doing all the things that receiver tracking uh, metric tries to capture. Um, I don't, I feel like it's not changing anytime soon. It is going to be interesting to see if it, how, if it it hasn't really depressed the receiver market, the way, like certainly not, uh, you know, anywhere close to like what we see with running backs and I get why not, but and it'll be interesting to see at a certain point. Uh, and a large part of the reason why not, by the way, is because you need so many of them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's where we're saying. Um, I, I do want to uh, quickly note, by the way, just you kind of, you explained the metric. I think just, it's really, first of all, is it still on 538? It's currently still on okay. 538. Maybe by the time this comes out, if it's, it's somewhere different, I'll, I'll link to it because it is really useful. And I feel like um, what is so imp- useful about it is the quarterback aspect because receiving stats have just historically been so hard to separate from quarterback play. Even some of the next gen stats like uh, catch rate over expectation, that's based on the, the throw, the difficulty of the throw and the catch, not the accuracy of the quarterback. So, um, and you know, you can look at separation, but separation is such a contextual stat. Anyways, this stat I feel like does probably the closest I've seen to actually isolating what the receiver is doing, which is what we're always trying to do 
in this space or what you're trying to do in this space. Um, you mentioned Watson as a guy before we move on to the next one <laughs> who scores pretty high in all of them, which uh, really checks out with the eye test. Are there any other receivers that when you look at them or just last year, when you looked at them, you thought maybe like this stat or these stats generally are giving them credit, but that they're maybe not getting in the mainstream. I mean, the number one guy is probably Deontay Johnson, yeah. where it, the model believes that he's excellent at getting open. And we know that one of the like sort of like subsequent research we've done through this is that your ability to get open, your route running, that is by far the most important attribute. <laughs> your ability to make contested catches, that's good. Your ability to generate yak relative expectations, that is good. But openness is the one that both is most stable. So if you're good at getting open one year, you're more likely to get open, be able to get, be good at getting open the next year. Uh, and it also just correlates more with production and also future production. Like I looked at how you do in open score in one year, then how you do in terms of receiving yards the next year, do that with all three components. Uh, they're all useful, but open score is, is by far the most <laughs> useful. And so Deontay Johnson, uh, it scores really highly on him, him and, you know, I have to like, got to pump up Tyler Lockett, you know, for like the oh. millionth year in a row, he scored really <laughs> highly. Uh, and, and like, I, he's probably like the historical poster child for, for that metric. And, and Johnson is the more, the more recent <laughs> one. Like those are the, the contrarian. I wouldn't say Lockett at this point. He's, he's, he's good. He gets his due now, but like the, Deontay Johnson, no touchdowns last year. Like that's somewhat of a contrarian take. Uh, and I think I, 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 I don't know. I'm a, I'm a fan of these metrics. I, I, I'm a believer in, in what they, what they show. And it, it's like a really tricky thing to, to quantify all credit to Brian Burke. He's, you know, he's the one who did the, yeah. the work here. No, I, I love Johnson. I love the combination of him picking such a disparate skill set. It's like, if you combine the two of them and you get like the perfect. Yes. But, uh, um, Okay. Uh, how many more do you got for me? Two. Okay. Number four. Number four is not really a trend, but it's just the number that I have been writing, talking, thinking about since last season ended. And that is that the Miami Dolphins, when Tua Tungavaloa was on the field last year, were a more efficient offense than the Bills were when Josh Allen was on the field. And they were a way more efficient offense than the Bengals were with Joe Burrow on the field. And and the Burrow thing was not – it's not – if you if you say Burrow and Jamar Chase, it, it still holds true uh, too. So this was not just like when, when Chase missed time. And I just cannot stop thinking about that. I mean, we're talking about a team that potentially they, – they were just operating on this upper elite tier when they had – their quarterback and the receivers uh, together and they weren't thought of as being quite on that tier. We never know what would, what would have happened, but it sure makes me wonder about what's going to happen in 2023. It flows well from your second point about the value of receivers, right? Yes. Just like what, what if you built this machine where you have these unblue receivers and a, you know, average to worse offensive line. Yeah. And a quarterback who was average to worse last year, but then in this year with these receivers, with this play caller, statistically, as you said, played at an extraordinarily high level. Um, it is an interesting 
it's an interesting thing to consider in light of the receiver thing, in light of the thing we talked about at first about offenses being less explosive because this offense kind of defied that in some ways. Um, but I think they were able to defy it because of the complexity of the offense. I didn't mention them as like one of the offenses that like solved, but essentially defenses were play afraid to play man coverage versus them for almost the entire year. And the offense that they built with healthy Tua, with the healthy receivers, with the optionality and the motion did solve for the sort of shell coverage that they faced a lot of. Um, just be by basically, this is a really dumbed down version, but like manipulating space with speed and confusion. So uh, it, 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 I actually, I know I keep like trying to tie all these together, but I really do think it is an interesting response to the first thing, because this is an offense that threw a lot on early downs and was attacking downfield, but it was unique in how they did so. It was very uh, different. I thought Mike McDaniel like was extraordinarily extraordinary his first season. I also am not horribly worried about the dip we saw at the end of the season, which I did ask yeah. you about because, um, you know, they did run into a bit of a, uh, a problem in the final few games. Um, the much discussed chargers game who they play in week one, which is going to be awesome. They play the Niners who have an elite defense who I thought did a, a good job of playing him. They faced defenses who were, um, not as afraid to play press man, take away the middle of the field. I think that um, they have the pieces to counter that. I think the run game is going to be better this year. I think they're going to figure out how to get the tight ends involved. But it 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 will be interesting, Seth, to see. Because I think... I think... I don't know if what we saw those first before Tua got hurt, before the defenses, all of that. I don't know if we're going to see it at this year because it is year two of playing a very this very unique and interesting offense. That said, you can't solve speed. so. And, like, team-wise, their defense probably gives them, like, a little more cushion this year. Yes. Like, yeah, totally. That's another reason why I'm super high on them, of course, because they have this, this defense. But I think – well, it makes me, you know, as someone that's like buying in on the Dolphins all the way, it makes me happy that you think you're not that worried about those last four games being a sign of what's to come. A little worried. <laughs> a little worried. A little worried. Okay, a I little just worried. Feel all like right. you, you, not panic. You have a you have a lot of pieces in place. Like you have a really accurate quarterback. You have a lot of speed. You have a really smart play caller. You have good running backs. The, the offensive line concerns me greatly still. Um, I don't know if you caught, I, I did sp the EPA splits with and without Teron Armstead, which were pretty dramatic, but also noisy because they, I don't know if you heard me say this, yeah. coincided with Latu's absence. They were like, oh, I don't know what to take for this. And he has not played a full season ever. Uh, I did. So we'll see. Uh, the, I, I view the Dolphins and I've talked about them a lot this summer as a team that has like, I wouldn't say the highest variance because I think they have too much talent to have a low floor. The ceiling is absolutely a Super Bowl team for the reasons we're discussing. There's just a few things we're like, oh, let's see. see how this goes. I'm with you. I think there's so, in some ways, it's like, it's so difficult to divide credit between McDaniel to uh, Waddle, yeah. Hill, and, may and maybe Armstead too, right? But 
like the beauty of it is that I feel like I don't need to solve that problem if all five of those, if all five of them are there. No, you have to, because you have to say if Tua (laughs) is uh, an elite quarterback. (laughs) No, you're, you're absolutely right. They all work really well together. Um, Yeah. So you heard it here first. Seth Walters said Tua is better than Josh Allen. All right. Final, final, final Final one is I, I was just thinking about, I talked to the Washington post about, they did a really good story on uh, the commander's offensive line and di- you know, differing opinions on it, but like everyone agreeing it's uh, it's going to be not great. And especially the interior, the interior looks very shaky. And it reminded me, I like com- had completely forgot about this. I, it reminded me about Sam Howell's, some of his college numbers. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Justin Fields and his 12 and a half percent sack rate, which is just, like truly astronomical. Like we talked about like Russell Wilson having a sack problem. Great. Like this is another, <laughs> another category altogether. Not great. And I, going into the draft last year, I was looking at college quarterbacks and their, their career sack rates in college. Fields was, was up there, but two guys who were higher than him in college were Malik Willis and Sam Howell. And, Willis, mm. you know, had a small sample, but took sacks at a super high rate last year. And man, does that make me worried about about Howell, especially if we're saying the interior of that line is going to be a real weakness. That is does not seem like a good combination. So I think we should start with the broader thing about sort of pressure to mm. sack rate and sack rate in general being a quarterback stat because um, – it's something where I, n- I never want it to doom a quarterback because because sack rate generally, like, I know I just kind of uh, breezily said it's a quarterback stat. It's 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 not just a quarterback stat. I think w- that became kind of a talking point amongst nerds because it was so long just viewed as quarterbacks not being responsible for it at all. And, um, you know, we see when quarterbacks move from team to team and, like, you know, it is something – and Wilson being a good example – John Watson, you know, well, had a pretty high sack rate, I believe, last year in Cleveland. We'll see what, if that continues. Um, but it is, for me, alarming. Uh, and, and the converse is, if a guy doesn't convert pressures to sacks at a high rate, Trevor Lawrence being notable, uh, Justin Herbert, Anthony Richardson, this was something that a lot of, like, that was really appealing about him, frankly, going into the draft. That's a, a bright green flag. So I think when you look at a guy like Sam Howell, who in his final year in North Carolina played behind a horrible offensive line, but has a bit of a play style that was conducive to, to you know, getting sacked a lot, the same way Justin Fields did. It, it's concerning. Like, it's not, I don't think it's like a total deal breaker necessarily, but when you combine that with, as you said, a dubious offensive line. And I think this is something that really doomed fields his first two years in the NFL. We'll see what happens this year with some improvement up front. That's a pretty toxic com- combination. And I say that as someone who uh, there's a lot uh, in Sam Howell's game that I like, I like their receiver group a lot. I don't know how they score in our metrics, but it, it it's the one thing that I agree with you could really derail that offensive, this, season with Eric Bieniemy because it is it, it's like oh you're taking this thing that he's already not great at and you're combining it with what is a weakness on the that's, football team. That's all well said. Yeah, I think it's like mm-hmm. not it's not a, 
none of this is saying it can't work. It's just a really ba- it's a bad signal. You can you can still succeed taking a lot of sacks. It just like completely removes your margin of error from so many other parts of the game. And you can't you can't it is yeah. It is quite, you know, we know it's a, a it's a majority quarterback stat. Uh but you players can improve in that area. It doesn't happen a ton. Like Joe Burrow is a guy who has gone from like, I would say bad to below average uh, at sack improvement. I mean, Jay Cutler, I think had like an insane improvement. He was like horrendous and then got, and then got good at it. Um, but yeah, I mean like the enemy is going from playing with the best, the absolute best at sack avoidance. Oh, sack avoidance. Mahomes is all, I mean, his sack right. last year is insane. Like, it's so to to how where we think it's (laughs) going to be a problem and i did look you know there is we do see correlation from college this is a this is a skill that translates from college to pros so yeah like you said it's a bad combination it's a concerning sign it's not doesn't mean the end but it but it has to be a concern i think what you saw with wilson and watson who are guys who never got better at it really is that they were so awesome otherwise that for the during like you know Wilson like 2013 through 18 or whatever that it negated like you'd still have like a lot of like ugly three and outs and first and you know second and 19s and whatever but because there was the magic it didn't matter and now what you're seeing with him I've talked about this a lot is like okay what if you kept the bad stuff but you took away the magic um and we'll see if he can improve upon that this year. But I think that's the thing with Sacrate is like you got to be, you got to be really, really good at other stuff to compensate for it. If you're especially if you're playing behind a bad offensive line, I would be. The, the, your point about like uh, the the quarterbacks who have improved—that's something I'd like to read more about or look into more. Is because I'm always interested in things that quarterbacks can get better at, and I think that's kind of like a fun and interesting thing about the NFL right now is like, we're seeing quarterbacks improve in ways that they did not historically improve because of the nature of NFL offense. And there's just, you know, a couple of recent, obviously high profile examples. And I, and I'd be curious to see in terms of sack avoidance, how rare it is and how, what it usually takes for a quarterback to get better at it, because that is, it's so important to me. Totally agree. Don't know the answer. So I'm curious too. (laughs) There you go. That's your next assignment, Seth. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for joining. This is great. Um, we'll definitely catch up as the year goes on and see how these things shake out. You guys can follow him at Seth Walder. Check out receiver uh, the receiver score wherever it is. We are committed to it being <laughs> I, somewhere. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will continue to use it because it is really cool. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining. This was really fun. Thanks, Mina. <laughs> <laughs>